This conversation was recorded live on stage at the Sydney Opera House as part of the Festival of Dangerous Ideas, a weekend of challenging, inspiring and robust discussions with powerful speakers from around the world. Hello everybody, how are you today? My name is Sarah Vine Vassalo. Um, I'm the Artistic Director of Murmuration. Uh, Murmuration is a newly founded integrated performance company based in uh, Marrickville, in uh, in the west of Sydney. Uh, We work closely with a collective of multidisciplinary artists dedicated to creating innovative, that word we all love, contemporary theatre. Um, the artists that I work with um, disciplines span across dance, theatre, music, scenic art and costume design, digital media and film. Our program is made up of creative developments with professional artists, inclusive dance theatre workshops, community events and public performances. Both of these uh, Part of our practice is working with professional artists through our making stream, which supports professional arts practice, and then also our learning stream, which is open to the community to participate in the performing arts. And this happens through workshops, outreach and events. Both of these streams provide opportunities for creation, participation, observation and conversation. Um, So I'm letting you know a little bit about myself um, to contextualise why I've been invited to um, chair for today's session. I have a career in performing arts spanning uh, spanning 20 years as a performer, maker, director and arts manager. And for the past nine years, I've been working in a field known as many things. Arts and disability, integrated dance, integrated arts, inclusive arts, disability arts. Also identified as working with people with and without a disability, social innovators, change makers, advocates, political artists. <sighs> Are you feeling me? <laughs> as a person who identifies with invisible disabilities, and that's a whole other kettle of fish or birds, we should say, um, what it has been about for me, it's been about finding my tribe. It's been about finding a happy place, the place where I most fit as an artist a place that is shared with diversity. Yes, it is complex and messy and dangerous and hard and we feel like we have a need to have so many words to define it. But as history has demonstrated over and over again, that is the birthing place of greatness. It is the birthing place where the fringe dwellers and the misfits and the freaks find and make great art. So what it all really boils down to Is this landscape, this space that we are claiming, it's actually about artists making art? And why is this dangerous, you ask? It changes the notion of help or therapy or leadership or who's in control. And with that, I would like to introduce Sarah Hulbert, who is an accomplished international circus and physical theatre performer trained in aerial acrobats and hula hoop. By day, she is an arts manager in Sydney, and by night, she is Cuckoo, the bird girl. <laughs> her, show, her, her works include everything from Cirque du Soleil to corporate aerials to starring as Harry McClary in children's theatre. Sarah is, in general, inspired by the natural-born freak, Cuckoo, the bird girl.
sideshow and freak show performances, I feel the most human. The sideshow community has been a space where I've created my own work in the way that I want to do it, in the process that suits me the best, in a process where I can infuse my lived experience to push where my body can go to the extreme. So in that sense, in the physical performance world, for the first time, I can feel my whole body, given a history of being in hospitals or um, diminished or dismissed or distrusted or silenced as a result of what I look like and how I operate in this world. So that sideshow community, that fringe space, is where I'm valued. That's my performative body that is valued but when I walk on the streets or when I'm in my workplace, these are not environments that are conducive to valuing who I am. So as an artist, I decided how do we change the paradigm? What exactly um, am I attracted to making uh, this kind of performance? <laughs> um, why am I doing that? So <laughs> Um, and when, why do I, why have I actually used an angle grinder to shoot sparks on my crotch? Like, who does that? Um, <laughs> but it's something that I enjoy and it's, it's about really using what you've got in, in the circus. The circus mantra is use what you've got. 
So in this, in this sideshow fringe space, that, that very principle of use what you've got and having a community supporting you to use what you've got is the very definition of what the disability community calls access. So I started my, my practice investigations as an artist and I was, um, I was in New Zealand for six years. So I trained in, in circus in Brisbane and then went to the Auckland Fringe Festival and just stayed, you know. Um, and it was great. I, I was with a circus theatre company and there were hard parts and there were good parts. And some of the real interesting things for me was I was um, working at Auckland Council in arts management and I had a colleague, James Beaumont, who, um, who studied at NIDA, actually in Sydney in the year of Mel Gibson. And he has done a lot of theatre making. And, and what he said to me as a colleague then was like, OK, Sarah, as an artist, because he's a director, he's like, I want to cast you as a freak. And I'm like, oh, OK. What? <laughs> um, <laughs> So he's like, okay, here's this movie, you've got to watch it. It's called Freaks. It's from 1932, directed by Todd Browning. And then also, around the same time, um, a circus friend of mine who now lives in Sydney, Daniel Gorski, he was also like, Sarah, this movie, Freaks. So I'm like, okay. My creative colleagues are pointing me towards watching this movie. And so only a few years ago did I sit down and watch the movie Freaks, and it's a black and white, it's at the, the time of the talkies coming in. So it's built as a horror and it has people with disability in speaking roles and lead roles. And it's about the carnival. So that movie got banned for 30 years for being too controversial. So we really only saw it in the 1960s, 1970s. So I explored this and, and the first time I saw the movie... It was like, okay, this is the first time ever that I've seen someone like me on screen. And as an artist, when you're meant to be looking for your influences and role models, and as a person, when you come home from work and go, I want to watch TV and see something that's relevant, that's quite a significant moment. So I watched the movie, and I saw a particular woman. This girl. She was born in 1880. Her name is Minnie Woolsey. She and I have a very similar condition. Um, and I, yeah, I was just like, oh, I think I need to do something with her. So, <laughs> so this is my arts practice. You know, also in New Zealand, I've done a lot of um, dance, a lot of physical theatre, a lot of circus. And I, and I did this workshop with Charles Coronejo. And he was, like, really into transgressive... Um, avant-garde stuff and he told us oh, you have to know your wakahuya you have to know what influences you why you're doing it because if we keep one eye on the future we have one eye on the past we have a stronger future in terms of our, our own arts practice so I started investigating Minnie's story and the story of the freaks and, and consequently as a result of the movie which is held in very high esteem by the disability arts community and the disability rights community the advocacy community across the world, there are so many performers, unique performers, who look up to that movie, despite it being banned for 30 years. Yet, I've had the experience of the disability community going, you shouldn't be doing circus because of the history of the freak shows. So what's the difference? What's the difference between this movie on the silver screen and this, this historical freak show 
So the historical freak shows from like the 1600s. Minnie was born in 1880, so her time was more at the sort of latter half of the freak shows. So she was raised in an institution and then she was discovered by the circus and she toured around and then she was in the film. Then she went to Coney Island in New York. So what people say about the freak shows is that it was exploitative. It was absolutely vulgar. It, it sent the wrong message about people who with deformities who look different. But as the years went by, like recently, in the last five years, there's been more and more PhD studies on the topic going, actually, that's wrong. Actually, it was the place where people were protected. It was the place where people earned the most money, like rock star money, like buy a house money in the 1930s depression. I th institutional buy a house. I think I'll take buy a house, <laughs> you know. Um, so at that time, it was really a place where they could escape the ugly laws, the anti-marriage laws, the compulsory sterilisation laws, the compulsory institutionalisation laws. Imagine how abusive the institutions, those old mental asylums were. How much rape and abuse potentially she could have experienced... So we have the disability rights movement in the 1950s going, uh, OK, so we better not do the freak shows. It's a bit about pity. Let's not do it. But actually what they're saying is the rise of medicalisation from the 1940s onwards where there were more cures for people with disability. That's what they were commenting on. And the actual downfall of the freak shows was that roller coasters were cheaper than people. So let's get that story straight, actually. My interest in the freak shows um, is about, isn't related to the topic of, you know, what is our place on stage and screen and in public life for people who don't fit that conventional box of what an artist should be. So what is our place? What was our place back then? What is our place now? So I went, I went to the opening yesterday and I listened in on, on the Black Lives Matters talk and that was fantastic. And she spoke also about status in relation to place. I was really interested in that. So what is, what is our status on stage? I know I feel more valuable on stage, but do I have status? And, and, and how or, and, and why not? I, and so my answer is no. We have a very low place in our art sector and in the world, you know, generally at the moment. However, what I say that's different to other people is that we used to have a higher, a higher status because we're talking about the natural-born freak of the freak shows, which was top of the hierarchy. That's much higher status. So how did we... How did, how did that change? And, and yes, it is a particular stance and it's a particular viewpoint of mine because I'm interested and it's not the viewpoint of everybody else. Um, but mainly, regardless of difference in, in views, I want to ask why because I just don't think we're asking why enough in terms of art history. And is art history taught about unique performers? You know, why don't the current artists with disability know that the, the movie Freaks exists, given that that's a huge influence um, for the actual, the cultural product that we're creating at the moment? So, this whole thing about our place on stage and in public life, 
For me, I'm, I'm kind of interested in, in two things. Uh, the environment. So I, I don't think we have a high place. I'd like it to be higher. So I think what the barriers are, um, or what the things to, to focus on at least, are the environment. Is the environment good for us to create work? So for me, um, I'm partially sighted, so the process of creating work is, is often opposite to other people's processes. Does the environment support that? Do I get compliments or do I just continually get um, really chopped down at the knees for just needing to do it a little bit differently? So how, is, how does the environment work for us in terms of our coming and getting to that place on stage? And the other thing is the colonisation of our history. So I'm real big on this, the history links us to the present, to the future kind of thing. So the colonisation of our history, if, if we're told that the freak shows were bad, if we're told that there was absolutely nobody with disability on screen or on stage since, what, this decade? That's, that's not right. It's not right at all. There were so many famous... There was a famous singer who was an amputee. There was the Freaks movie. There was, we went to, you know, Afters had an event with Screen New South Wales and, and bus stop pictures. They brought out Jamie Brewer from American Horror Story and there was a guy there talking about performers from the 1970s and 80s. Why don't we talk about this in our sector and in general public? And for me, that why has something to do with this whole conversation of inclusion and exclusion with something to suddenly be included. I'm sorry, we were here all along. So let's actually, you know, it's a useful conversation. Inclusion is a useful word if it's given the right meaning. If it takes away our history, robs us from it. If it takes away our status. If it takes away our artistic control, our pathway for leadership, then it's not the right word. And we need accountability for that. That's my rant. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, for me in creating... Yeah. <laughs> um, so, for me creating my arts product... Um, I've got a little bit more time, though, so I've always got something more to say... <laughs> But for me to create my arts products, I'm interested in, you know, we're talking... I have to know my landscape. I have to know the politics and the context that is happening right now. I have directors and casting agents and, and, and people coming to me going, yeah, but we've advertised and we're totally equal opportunity. And I'm like, well, I never saw the advertisement. So when we talk about diversity on stage and diversity in public life, including workplaces, is the information getting through and whose responsibility actually is that? So I'm, I'm asking the whys. So we talk about equity, that's part of our conversation. We talk about equity of representation, how many people are actually in the product. That's a useful conversation and the access conversation is useful. Can I work with my process to get the thing that you want and so that I can offer what you want to make that piece of art? Because I love offering things, you know. Um, that's, that's equity. Then there's the avant-garde discussion. So, we are the new form. The new form. <laughs> you know, we're the new form. We, our lived experience will shape the creative product in a new and exciting way. It's a good argument. I like that one as well. 
Because the, the lived experience, for example, for me, of my partial sight, well, I don't know who you are and if you're out there and, you know, I mean, come say hi to me afterwards because I have no idea who's in front of me. Um, how does that shape what I do in my arts practice? You know, how, how, does, how does my sense of hearing and my sense of touch create a new form? So that's the avant-garde argument or discussion. Then there's the lineage discussion, which is the discussion that I've brought to the table today because that's what I'm real fascinated by, actually. Because everyone else knows their lineage, so I would call on our community to know it as well. Because some of the things that have been said to me are, oh, yeah, but the other people just really don't want to have anything to do with your conversation about freak shows. I'm like, that's fine. But do we know our lineage? And it gives us strength. It gives us authenticity. It gives us a, a ground to stand on if we can acknowledge that. And if we can't acknowledge that, how can you acknowledge me right now and how can you acknowledge the future me's, actually? And all this stuff that happens in this art sector and that happens on stage and on screen... You know, all those injustices are replicated on, in, in everyday interactions when I walk down the streets. So for me as a cultural worker, I'm interested in creating a product where um, I can see my reality in art and it can actually change the landscape when I walk down the street. And as a dangerous idea, really the only thing I, was, I came here to do today is actually just tell the truth. And that was kind of it. <laughs> so <laughs> this is my real ending. <laughs> Mike still, I think. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so we got a little bit of a, a, a daytime, daytime version of... Yeah, you got the daytime Cougar. version. <laughs> daytime version. This is actually the tame version. Yeah. <laughs> this is Sarah in Cuckoo. <laughs> yeah. Not Cuckoo, the bird lady herself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we just really like to um, open up the conversation to you guys um, and share further insights from Sarah, um, any questions you might have. Um, we'd like to see what's bubbling or questioning and, and should we give them permission oh, to just yeah. bloody ask? Yeah, man. Yeah, this, this whole thing about PC. Um, you know, I, I was asked in an interview um, yesterday. I've done a lot of mini interviews for this. It's been really... The Opera House has been amazing. Um, so thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but someone asked me about PC and, and, you know, is it okay to be not PC? And I was like, well, we talk a lot about political correctness. Um, what's underneath that? Again, Why? Why are we not asking why? So underneath it for me is about being respectful. So ask whatever you want um, because it's respectful for me to actually enter the conversation rather than ignore or avoid it. So go for it. Um, there is a roving mic as well. I might kick us off. How about that? We've been, we've been chatting for the last day and a half, yeah. <laughs> back and forth. Yeah. Um, and obviously some of these things you have already ju- addressed, but maybe just to unpack a little bit further, what is the place that you see or you believe is the place on stage for performers who don't fit the conventional way, the conventional look, the conventional... Method. Yeah, yeah. Um, the arrogant Sarah will say leadership, mm. uh, and the realistic <laughs> Sarah will say contribution. Okay. So, what does Cuckoo the Bird Girl say? 
<laughs> she just makes noises. <laughs> she talks in gibberish. Nice. I like that. <laughs> um, but, but leadership, uh, I think that, you know, um, there's so many sayings about what beauty is and, and in art, the bizarre is beautiful. And there's mm. so many sayings about uniqueness and there's so many products where you see that one character that's particularly unique and it, and it creates a cult classic. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's actually quite an asset to, to be casting um, with outside-of-the-box kind of thinking. So um, it's quite a strong, it's an asset, it's, it's strong. Uh, the, place, the place is to offer a unique contribution, really. Um, mm. And I'm really excited by those offers. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's exciting that it, that it just takes us outside of the box. Or for me, I like mm. to say there is no box. Yeah, yeah. You know, like there's, exactly. there is no box. So let's, let's see what happens then. Yeah, mm. yeah. Hmm. Any any further comments on that or questions? We're coming to you. Hi, Sarah. I just wanted to find out, like, where has integration and access worked and where hasn't it? And what um, are you faced with daily, really, with integration and what you were talking about? Sweet. Um, There's also water here for you, Sarah, too, if you... Normally I'd be... Sorry, just, just going back to the, the wonderful person who's asking the question. Um, because of my eyesight, I can't see who you are and I don't know if I know you. So if anyone who knows me is asking a question or if you could say your name or something, so because other people would actually see your face and, and I can't. So, hey? Catherine. Oh, hello. Oh, my housemate. <laughs> awesome. She was trying to be stealth. <laughs> so, yeah, totally, totally. Awesome. You know, sometimes that happens with lovers. Like, I just don't... <laughs> if they don't say who they are, I'm like, have I met you? <laughs> don't take it personal. No, don't take it personal. <laughs> uh, where are we at with integration and access? When has it worked and when has it not worked? Um, it works when we don't have to talk about it and we get on with the job and we're all able to contribute. So I think, you know, it's a really complicated question um, mm. because I'm also very tied to the word access because it's my cultural language. You know, I, I, was, I was born labelled. I was born as a natural-born freak. I was raised in the disability community and disability sector. You know, my, my holidays were hanging out at the special school that my mum worked at. So it's always been about access and that language for me. Mm. Um, and that's why it's hard for me to let go of it. And I'm trying to kind of go, well, what are other words that people will understand a little bit better? Because it comes a jargon word. Same with integration. So, um, you know, integration is also used in the cultural communities. Segregation mm. and integration ethnically. So in that sense, sometimes it's very powerful for other communities. Um, so it's, it's the politics of language, really. Mm. But for me, if I'm... You know, if I'm just hanging out in a circus studio training and having conversations with my peers and making work and then being able to present it, which is usually when I lead it, when it's like a one-woman show, when I write the funding application and I, and I put it on, um, as, in, as lots of in, in independent artists do, um, that's when I can sort of look at access um, in a real human, lived, practical kind of way. 
Um, when access and integration doesn't work is when people don't know what it means and are paying lip service to it and um, using it for a funding application or a tip box and not really understanding it. So, for example, you might have projects or programs or films or productions uh, or gallery experiences where, yes, we do access or, yes, everyone's included and welcome, but if I rock up there and, and 101 etiquette is like, please just tell me who your name, you know, who you are, um, then I, I'm not sure. Like, there's, there's some basics that don't happen sometimes under the name of access. Uh, and, and that's dangerous because that chops out my opportunity and it makes me miserable. Thank you. Thank you. Other questions? Hey, Sarah. Dean Walsh. From one widow to another. <laughs> Proud freaking widow. Um, thank you so much for that um, performance. Uh, sorry, performance and discussion. I think um, there's so much to cover. Apologies for this because I live with autism and I could be going to a million places at once here, but I will try to keep it <coughs> as close as I can to mm -hmm. the million things going on in my head. The one thing I'd like to bring up there was this idea of um, inclusive, inclusivity and this kind of word de jour that it is in the, um, in, in the inclusive arts sector at the moment. And this idea that, you know, we've always been here, so why suddenly are we being included, um, you know, in all these different policies and the, and the policies that are being pushed, the new reforms that are being pushed for, um, for money raised so that we can become more visible. Um, I would also like to just uh, point out that I think it's also something to do with uh, not only the freak but the idea of a subculture that uh, even somebody who, is, uh, who identifies as um, a, a queer artist, I've been making works for about the last 25 years that have been very, pushed those boundaries very much so of how queers are represented in dance. And, uh, you know, in the 90s, that was a very new thing <clears throat> to, you know, put the queer body out there very openly and to receive funding from Australia Council for a work that was um, very much so identifying as queer. Nowadays, it's, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's much more sort of part of the, inverted commas, the norm. But I would also say that maybe I've been working in the inclusive sector as a choreographer who is trying to work as inclusively as possible for about the last seven years. And I would say that this idea of inclusivity is just a way, like you said, it's the politics of language in some sense, but it's also a way for us to understand how we might um, talk about this need to include people of all diversities, of all uh, intellectual abilities. I like to call it diverse ability rather than disability. <laughs> so I guess the point that I'm trying to get to there is um, I completely agree with you and I hate this... this um, it's a double-edged sword, really, that it's a wonderful thing that we're now being more inclusive and that we're trying to find language that fits for all of us because we are all different within the um, disability sector, in the art sector. But um, I also do think that it's a question of, or possibly a topic to be more discussed, mm. of, the, of the subcultural, that suddenly we're making it more visible in this mainstream and how can we take sort of pride in the fact that we still we want to maintain our um, inheritance as a subcultural identity or a subcultural artist or a freak or a weirdo, but we don't want to be assimilated. 
And on that, I wish we could get rid of the word integration because I do not think integration is, is really happening and I think it's very much subjective. What I, I'm trying to find the right words. It's a very difficult thing, but I agree with you. I think access is a great word. And I think inclusivity, when it's done right, and we need to talk about this more, when it's truly being inclusive of the person and what they're living with, I think this is right. But integration, I feel, is very questionable and it's being bandied around everywhere. Thank you for your comments. We do have quite a, quite a few questions in the audience too, Okay, Sarah. all right, so very, very... Sorry, nice. No, um, any contribution is, is welcome. No, that's great. Sorry. Um, just, just real, I'll, I'll bullet point the yeah, then, I reckon, um, yep. because I always want to respond. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Um, okay, so number one, our New South Wales government um, is, you know, asking organisations to have disability inclusion and action plans, good use of the word inclusion. So much, I'm so supportive of that. Um, number two, how do we get away from the, the wording? Contribution and respect. Let's mm. bring it down to words that we all know to take out the jargon, I want to be respected, I want to contribute. If you shut down my contribution, I will say something about access. You know, if you don't respect me, that is attitudinal access. So, you know, access is, is, is again, and social model of disability and all the theory sort of stuff. Let's talk about the environment. Does it work for me? Does it make me feel comfortable? Am I going to get a sly remark from the side from someone completely unexpected because they have no idea what my lived experience is? And I have to deal with that on a daily basis, as would other people. So, yeah, it is, it is so, such political language-based stuff. Let's definitely talk about it more. Always ask why, but always know how you talk about it as well. So if you cannot evaluate your own processes or practices and are lost because of that, I and mean, I'm not saying you're doing this, Dean, I'm just saying in general, um, then, then that's where we lose out as well. That's why it's important to ask why. And it comes back to as well that uh, in your speak, uh, talk at the beginning, Sarah, about authenticity. It's like yeah. if we're coming from an authentic place, as, as yeah. I'm sure a lot of people here, we're probably in a room full of like-minded people where that is something we want to do and put out there and receive and respond and contribute to, is that authenticity. Well, then you, you kind of, you might make a mistake, but you, it's okay if you do. And we're also in a, a setting where people uh, are born labelled and they know how to identify, know how to talk about themselves and the world, and people are coming to grips with a new identification. Mm. We've got a, a community, a subculture, a cultural community, because disability is a culture, where it's really diverse within the culture. Mm. So how do we relate to each other? Who is prioritised, who is not prioritised, whose voices are heard? And really, again, coming back to the natural-born freak, this is why I like the freak shows, natural-born freak, made freak, working act. The people who are born with a disability know how to talk about it, usually have really strong things to say in the conversation, and that should not ever be ignored. Mm. I like your point, though, if I could just make this one last Oh, it would be really good quickly, Dean. Thank you. Yes, that's, that was another one of my questions, which may be in the, in the audience as well, is that thing about, you know, why is it important to connect with the history? Why is it important to acknowledge the performers with disability that have been before? Yeah. 
So at this point in time in our contemporary world, so this decade, we have things like growth attenuation, where you have people with disability who are shunted, like their growth is shunted, like, like Chinese foot binding, because they're too hard to deal with for their carers slash support people. We have compulsory sterilisation still happening where women with disability go in for tooth operations and come out sterilised. We have violence on a daily basis for women with disability. We have mothers with disability with their children being taken off them by the courts. We have people coming out of the institutions who tell stories of wearing dog collars. So if we don't talk about our history in relation to our present, how do we actually know that we've changed in our present? Mm. Let's go for another question. Yeah, great. Someone, uh, lady over here. Oh, down here, sorry. <laughs> yeah, do you want to go there? <laughs> Quick shot. We've got, we've got a bit of time, so... Hi, um, I just want to... My name's Jeannie, and I'm an Asian woman, and I was just wondering in terms of representation in media platforms, for example. Um, I'll give the example of American Horror Story, where they have been using freak actors and actresses, and I was just wondering, with myself as an Asian woman and my representation in the media, like, how do you avoid being pigeonholed into a tokenistic sense of, like, being stereotyped? And would you want to see people with disabilities being represented in more mainstream frameworks without being typecast as freaks, necessarily? Mm -hmm. Um, To answer the second part first, yes, of course. Of course, I think, you know, anyone should be able to play any role... And also anyone should be able to have any job, including a management job, you know, for, for anyone, no matter how they showcase their skills or work with their skills or their, their, what they bring to the table. So, um, yeah, bring it on. Like, we've just had um, an amazing actress from Melbourne, Kate Hood, who's just, you know, starring in Neighbours. And so this, it's coming in Australia. We, we're on that... A tidal wave of you will see so much diversity on screen really, really soon, you know, which is exciting. The the first part of the question, and, and uh, sorry, the second part is also about the representation. It, it's good. You know, it's not the full conversation, but it's part of it. The first part about stereotypes, um, it's, I don't know, I'm a versatile actor, like I, I'm a versatile performer and I don't feel like identifying with a freak is going to typecast me or stereotype me because I also do corporate aerials. So it's, it's what, as, as a performer, it's what you do. It's how you carve your career um, and, and what you say to your agent to get you work and how you go around the boxes when, when you need to because I, I like creating my own artwork and, and cultural product. Um, so I don't know, I haven't come to that part in my, my own career yet about this, this fear of being stereotyped or, or typecast. So I don't really have a, a personal answer for you. Um, but I think that with American Horror Story... Like, I, I, mean, I love American Horror Story. <laughs> That's one of my favourite things. Um, the freak shows... Because I, I just want to talk about that now. <laughs> the, the, freak show, the freak show, American Horror Story, is phenomenal. And it's got one of my role models in it, Matt Fraser. So I'm, I'm really lucky to now know, after this whole exploration and research around the freak show... Now I know who my role models artistically are, and I'm really excited. That's a really strong position to be in. So um, American Horror Story is amazing. The Freak Show's uh, plot line is really good at capturing our history. You know, and when I see our, our product from the Freaks movie 1932, 
And then I really haven't seen a full cast of something until something like Cast-Offs, BBC's Cast-Offs mm. from, like, 2008 or so, uh, which is a mockumentary survivor six-part series with all people with disability. <laughs> and then when American Horror Story came out, I'm like, yes, that's where we're at now. Um, but there's interesting plot lines about how different types of people with different types of lived experience intersect and how um, how we've captured some historical moments, you know, like like lobster hands in glass jars. Yes, we were actually experimented on back then. So, yeah, bring it. Bring that story to the table. Uh, so that's why I'm not so worried about stereotyping either because those stories still need to be told. And also something that we talked about, Sarah, within that is like that's your practice right now and that's the process that you're interested in investigating right now and as artists that's a constant shifting changing thing I mean perhaps if you were putting yourself out there as a commercial artist exclusively maybe you wouldn't give yourself that label but in the contemporary arts world in the circus world it's like dig in deep go there I like yeah I like digging (laughs) deep I also like I mean six years ago I just wanted to take my clothes off as my practice you know burlesque stuff like now I'm just like okay well what's the history now I'm into art history and and tomorrow I might be in something into something completely different Mm -hmm. yeah great it's funny um you don't know me, but I'm also called Catherine. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we do not live together. <laughs> no, we don't live together. <laughs> um, look, um, thank you so much for your amazing talk. It was just fabulous and it was. it is a bit dangerous, but I hope it becomes less dangerous and more mainstream. I just want to know, um, you alluded a little bit to your, your childhood that it involved hospitals and... Your mum obviously worked in a special school, but how did you get from whatever that was like to thinking, I'm going to do art, I'm, this is for me? How did you, how did you kind of... Um, what's the process by which you went, you know, stuff all that, I'm actually quite healthy, I don't want to be in hospitals anymore, I'm going to do this other thing. Mm-hmm. I just want to know what... Who helped you? How did you mm-hmm. get there? Mm. Okay. I think because my mother kept this photo on her wall about the dress-ups that my sister and I always used to play as kids <laughs> just reminded me of how performative I always was. <laughs> it's a really embarrassing photo. <laughs> um, but, yeah, seriously, I, uh, I was always a performative kid and then I was channelled into swimming, so I swam at the Paralympics in Sydney, 2000. have a key to the city of Sydney. I'm still not sure what that means. <laughs> You have all the answers. (laughs) Um, But it's it's just something you just know when you're creative and and you need to do art. And and although I spent decades doing swimming, as soon as I reached the Paralympics, I was like, ah, now's the time to to do my creative stuff that is bubbling up inside of me. So I joined a women's circus, swapped the the chin-up bar at at the sports club for the trapeze bar. Still more chin-up bars, though. You always have to... Aerials are so rigorous. It's, It's daily discipline. Um, and I learned slowly through community workshops because it is harder for me to go to something like NICA um, or a tertiary institution to learn my craft, but that wasn't my, actually my consideration realistically. It's just that I wanted to do it part-time while I studied social work and politics at, at UQ, at the University of Queensland. So um, then I did my social work pracs and, and one of the, my last social work practical was with a biosystems um, bioethics systems advocate and I, I had to do, you know, I, it was pass or fail for me at university by, by doing this event and an assignment and report on the sterilisation of women with disability. So actually I've been kind of forced, forced in a good way 
into the advocacy world through just the choices that I've made in terms of study or um, places I've been for work experience. So it's always been constantly there for me. I, I can't escape it. I, I never will because it's what I'm meant to do in this lifetime. So I may as well do it in a fun way and that's why I thought I'll just keep doing arts and, and performance because I, I enjoy it. I enjoy... Um, Pushing my body, and, and yes, there are people who have helped me along the way, specifically the circus community. And in that disability rights movement, I can also tell you the names of the people who have gone before me, and I'll never lose sight of that. Um, but for, for the arts, um, the most help is on the daily, daily basis where I've got my circus community around me. Um, I... I want to acknowledge the people that have supported me in my arts career. Um, the James Beaumonts, as I mentioned, um, my good friends and stuff, but I don't ever want to be stuck on this question of help, actually, because everyone is supported, hopefully, mm-hmm. in this world to do what they want to do. Um, and just because I can't see your face doesn't mean I can't do my art. So... Um, you know, it's, it's, it is still an important question to acknowledge who supported you. So that is, is very, very valid. I just don't want to tip into this long answer of help, which I'm trying to stop myself from. <laughs> um, but, you know, my, you know, my friend Marissa, she helped me this week with just watching my performance and going, OK, is this appropriate for a Sunday morning? Can I, can I wear a, can I wear <laughs> a corset for the whole talk? Like, is that OK? Can it, can it be, like, sparkly sequins? So I get a lot of help with checking if I'm appropriate. <laughs> Great, thank you. So we've got about ten more minutes. Um, oh, right up the back, or oh, yep. Hi, my name is Cindy. Uh, I'm from Perth, Western Australia. Um, in my final year at uni, I, I wrote a paper about the Farrelly brothers, who are Hollywood directors. Their most famous movie is probably "There's Something About Mary." Um, in their work, uh, they've won a couple of awards for uh, representations of disability in mainstream media uh, because they mix it up. Uh, they have people with disability, actors with disability, uh, some playing people with disabilities on screen and some roles which are not. So the characters are not necessarily disabled. Um, the other thing that they do in mixing it up uh, is they also have a very select few uh, able-bodied actors playing roles with disability as well. Um, it's quite a controversial thing, I think, um, and uh, I was wondering you, what your feelings and take on that was, please. Mm-hmm. It is a big discussion at the moment um, in our space about who represents who, and, and especially in film. Um, and, you know, I look towards the people who've gone before me. So I spent six years in New Zealand and I was very um, nicely connected with an organisation called Be Accessible and Diversity Works. And there was a comedian in New Zealand called Philip Patston who really, you know, he started on Shortland Street. He really changed the landscape for disability arts in New Zealand. And he, you know, when I arrived there in 2009, he, he did this symposium and talked about this idea of diversity versus representation. And so it still lingers. Who gets to represent who? Especially in acting where your job is to act. So a lot mm. of, you know, these, the able-bodied actors have said, but, but that's my job. It's a character. I can play disability. And I'm like, well, sweet, but if, if we can't even get through the door in order to have that opportunity mm. to audition alongside you, 
then actually that's the conversation that we need to have. Mm. So can I go and audition if my agent thinks that sending me to an audition will exploit me? Um, I want to earn money. I want to have a job. I want to be a, a jobbing performer. But if my agent even stops me from getting that audition then that's actually the conversation that I'm interested in. So um, I, I do toe the line. The party line is people with disability should play characters with disability and other characters as well, and I absolutely agree with that. Um, cross-mobility casting is a word that's talked about. Authentic casting. We have an authentic casting agency here in Sydney, which is awesome. I still need to talk to them. Um, you know, so I, I totally... That, that is my political line. And I'm interested in the conversation of how we get there because that's really, really important to nut that out. Great. Thank you. Still bubbling or...? <laughs> Hello, Sarah. I'm Sarah too. What a fabulous oh, it's name. Oh, Sarah party. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to ask this question respectfully. I have two questions. Mm -hmm. Please could I ask what your diagnosis is? And I am very, very aware that you are not your diagnosis. So let me just get that out there. Um, and secondly, You're lucky you said that. I know. <laughs> I did want to get that in. Um, I also have worked in mental health for many, many years. So not physical disability, but mental health disability. One... Uh, I, I hope I'm always respectful... But is there anything else you could say to me that you would like me to have more of that I could give or share or have with my clients? Two questions. Mm -hmm. Cheeky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Dangerous. But I don't know who your clients are. So... Health disabilities. It, broadly. Yeah, but in the arts, in the sports, in, in like daily living, daily living, OT, or like what? Daily living. Okay. Daily living. Um, so, you know, when I worked for Sideshow Wonderland last year at um, Adelaide Fringe, which was amazing, such a good experience to work with Space Cowboy and Lizard Man. Great conversations about what it means to be human, body modification, sword swallowing, fantastic. <laughs> and, you know, the, when you work on a grind show and you're the bird out the front being the natural-born freak to attract the audience in, um, there is a natural curiosity about my diagnosis. And, and that's a strong space to talk about, you know, what I have. Um, because it is about the uniqueness of of a look. So I have Hallerman Strife syndrome, but it's what you do with that information is where I will chop you at the knees. So it's really nice that uh, that you did say, you know, that that you acknowledge the layers of that that question. Um, because it is, you know, when you work in the sideshow, it is about amping up your difference. And in that world, I have no problem with it because I earn more if I do that. And in our state, in, in, our, in our access and, and disability politics state, the one solution, the biggest priority for equality for people with disability is economics, it's employment. Mm. So, yeah, that's when it's a comfortable space to say it. Um, but if my diagnosis is taken then to warrant um, uh, comments that are about pity, about punishment, about burden, about lesser than, 
then no, you don't get to know my medical stuff. So, so I, and I know you acknowledge that, so thank you. Um, so, uh, what is it? It's, it's about um, giving advice to other people. That's the second part of the question. Um, I don't know. I don't want to fall into any traps here with this answer because what other people would say is, yes, you can do it too. <laughs> oh, you know? Uh, <laughs> and, and, and excuse me, of course we can all do it. It's if we're let, if we're able, if we're allowed to, if we, if we have our supporters who... If we have our environments that are comfortable... So my advice, actually, is get yourself in a good, comfortable environment. And if it's not good and comfortable, mm. say something about it. And if you're chopped at the knees for saying something about it, say it again. You know? Because you're not alone. I'm not the only one that is outrageously... Um, a question answer, a provocateur. I'm not the only one who gets called up for saying the wrong thing. There are lots and lots of us out there and I am not alone in that. So that's why I can keep going. Uh, so we have time for one last question. Yeah, oh my gosh, this... Uh, <laughs> who's had it up a for a while? So, there you go. It's very great. Gracious of you. She passed it along. So, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Teresa. Short question. Would you ever consider a career in politics? <laughs> Can she wear a corset? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like these thick <laughs> they, they kind of feel funny and nice. Oh, good. <laughs> um, look, I, I, I studied, I worked in disability advocacy and lobbying for a bit. I learnt my skills... Um, I moved to New Zealand for six years. Really, this year I've moved back to Sydney um, and I really wanted to be in the the arts and access realm because that is my forte. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if enough people like me to, for me to be successful as a politician. You've got to win some votes here. And I, I tend to alienate people quite quickly with the, with the way I say things. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm always going to say stuff. Whether that's whether whatever career move that takes, and, and my career will take a turn soon. So, um, you know, I don't know, maybe, but probably not. <laughs> I think I'll just stick to the course. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, I take it as a compliment. My politics is in my art. Um, I'm a cultural worker, and I think that there's a lot of powerful social change that can be created through the arts. You just watch the stuff on Facebook and how it's really the the it's it's so powerful um so i think that that actually sometimes might be more effective i want to be where it's most effective and this in fact is a platform to leverage that in in many ways this is an example of that i didn't realize you'd all come so early on a sunday morning (laughs) we had (laughs) sarah had plan a b and c depending on the size of the audience five people Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for um, engaging and being open and, and for leading parts of this discussion. And thank you to the very talented Sarah Hulbert. Thank you. If you enjoyed that talk, please subscribe to our iTunes channel for our fortnightly podcast.